This is the Band School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. All right. Today, I am excited to welcome to the BAM School podcast, Eric Olson. We first met in uh, Amsterdam when we were there for a BAM conference, and a uh, really neat guy, great at asking questions, great listener, huge servant, and I just let me give you a quick uh, bio on Eric. He guides clients approaching the transition from careers to the next chapter of their lives, particularly those seeking careful planning about tax-efficient income and investment techniques. He also guides clients wanting tangible plans for giving generously in the most tax-efficient ways and for investing in alignment with their values. He and his team serve about 100 families spread across the U.S., based both in northern Illinois and western Michigan. He provides planning and investment advice through Aret Wealth. Along with his two fellow advisors based in Virginia, he co-hosts the Retirement Lifestyle Show. And it's an excellent podcast. I've given it a listen, so look that up, Retirement Lifestyle Show, a weekly podcast that addresses not only investment, tax, and estate planning strategies, but also happiness, fitness, raising financially savvy kids and grandkids, having a high-impact life, and much more. Married 38 years to his college sweetheart. Early in their marriage, they ventured to China to teach English for a couple years. Today, their family includes two grown daughters, an exemplary son-in-law, and two energetic little granddaughters. When not serving clients or with family, Eric enjoys his men's ministry, prison ministry, hiking, working out, listening to other podcasts, and following the lowly San Diego Padres. Eric, welcome to Go the Padres. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, thanks a lot, man. It was so great to to learn from you in Amsterdam. I mean it. You just are were so full of energy, and it was really a privilege to be there with you and the rest of the cohort that was leading that group. I learned so much and and uh, grew in my faith as a result of that as well. So I'm really grateful uh, for what you're doing to to build the kingdom through this movement. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and we. We as a whole team really appreciated just, you know, we got there and different expectations and we ended up like having to do dishes and other things um, that no one expects when you go to a training that they're going to ask you to do dishes or, and, um, and I think we tried to shield most of the um, attendees from that, but you jumped right in. And um, I especially remember you getting up in the middle of the night and caring for one of our coworkers who um, was not healthy, shall we say? And uh, yeah, uh, but at, poor thing. And waking <laughs> waking up the next day with uh, energy and coming even at your lack of sleep. So that was actually what really stood out to me: um, just your desire to be a servant and add value to where you could. And uh, I'm sure it's one of the reasons you've been successful in business. And it was one of the mm. reasons I wanted to um, have you on the podcast. So. Well, thank you. Why don't you. you tell us a little bit about your journey to um, to where you are now in life? Sure. Uh, let's see. Um, Mom and dad, both uh, believing people, genuinely believing people, and were evangelizing their children from a very early age. And God got a hold of my heart. And while, of course, you know, the decision or the understanding that you make at five isn't the same as the age, the age of eight or 12 or 16 or 20, you know, God had a had a grip on me through that witness of my parents and the other people uh, that they had exposed us to. My dad was also in the Navy, 
so we moved around a lot, which gave us a chance to see a lot of God's world, both here in the United States and then um, abroad. Spent a couple of years actually in Guam, which was great as a little kid with, with coconut trees and such banana trees in the backyard. And, uh, that, and that was great. And then, um, you know, when I was um, when I was growing up, also my grandparents had a farm in Minnesota. So I spent some summers on the farm. My grandpa wisely made a deal with me to paint virtually every building on his property and uh, did it for room and board and four hundred dollars. <laughs> and so I thought I had just hit the jackpot, <laughs> but uh, came back and started turned that into a painting business. That uh, while I was in high school and by the time I was in college, I was hiring people for that uh, for that painting business. And so I had a little bit of that entrepreneurial gene and the ability to see what uh, what good uh, running a business could do for me, as well as the way this, that it could help. Those of my friends who were a little, um, you know, lean on money and, you know, I could put them to work right away and bless them that way. So that was awesome. Um, went to college, met the woman, uh, the girl who would eventually become after six years of my pursuing her, uh, would finally, finally say yes. And, uh, 38 years later, here we are having, um, uh, having spent some time in, you know, on that journey in grad school. And in, like I said, in China and, um, this and that, but yeah, so here we are. Yeah. So Eric, what were some of the uh, influences and experiences that led you to be a servant leader? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I would, first of all, you know, it's a little, I'm not sure <laughs> that I would self-describe as a servant leader. Uh, I, would, I would say, I think probably just observing, you know, the heart that my parents had was a big initial influence. And, um, they were, you know, they were really, I think, passionate people at, about the kingdom. And so both are gone now, but they were really, really passionate about it. And that passion was contagious for me. And so I think it really just sort of inculcated in me this view that, you know what, um, what the, the form that passion takes a lot of times is to just, um, lose yourself in, and not in an unhealthy and irresponsible way, but just lose yourself and take joy in doing what you can for other people. So, you know, my wife uh, sometimes accuses me of being always the guy that needs to, to close the disco. And, uh, but, you know, the, the last one at the church or the first one to volunteer or, you know, this sort of thing. Um, but I, I don't know, man, it's just one of those things where I just felt like I just derived so much joy from being part of what God's doing wherever, wherever I am. I, it just, it just feels like the not just the right thing to do, not duty driven, but really joy driven. Yeah, that's awesome. I I feel like um, you know I love to I enjoy serving as well, but um, recently I'm I came back to the states because my father in law had COVID, and uh -huh. um, there's been a couple times when he's treated me like a servant, which made me realize I don't really want to be a servant. Like <laughs> I'm happy to serve. Uh, but when I'm treated like a servant, it may, it's another level. <laughs> so it's been good. It's stretching me um, <laughs> to a new level. So what are some of the principles that have guided you and helped you be successful in the business world? Um, man, I'll tell you there, I would say some of the things that I just learned early on, I mentioned to you, you know, working on the farm and 
it was whether you liked it or not, you would get up at 5.30 and you would go out and you would milk the cows. That was just because they weren't, they weren't optional. They had full udders and they needed to be milked. And they, that had to happen in the late afternoon too. And the hay is on the field and we have a, a break between now and the next rain. We don't want that hay wet. You've got to get out there and you've got to get up on that wagon and you've got to throw bales. You know, and that just sort of like the, the sort of the, th that, um, these e external drivers just really force you into sort of saying, okay, I can put away my, how I feel about the preferences of it all and just, and just work yeah. and, um, and see the fruit of that culminate over a period of time. So I, I think it was the, the lessons for me, buddy, were probably the simple basic lessons that just about everybody has is that if you have to persist and you have to try to be excellent. You try to need, need to learn as much as you possibly can yeah. go above and beyond, especially when you're building the business, you know, just the, I, I don't mean that I'm sure not everyone's journey is like this, but for me, it really was, uh, not striving for work-life balance on day one, yeah. but striving for a lot of work and a lot of work and a lot of work. Fortunately, I had a bride who was very understanding of that and, and agreed that it was necessary and could see the, the value of that. And then over time, you know, you start bringing other people in to support you in the business and, and then you get a little bit of your life back. But I would just say persistence and excellence maybe are the two, yeah. the two chief principles for me there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting talking about growing up on the farm. I read a guy's a master's dissertation once or thesis that he did on, he called it, um, something heart and calloused hands. It was like a heart for the Lord and uh, hands that had done hard work. And he yeah. found a huge correlation between people that had worked hard in their younger years and leaders as they got older in life. I just, so, oh, interesting. Yeah. It was a really, huh. a really fascinating connection. So, yeah. Well, what advice would you give younger people, you know, 20 to 30, um, you know, maybe entrepreneurial people or just people that are younger as they look towards retirement, financial planning, those kind of things. What's kind of your standard advice for young folks? Well, I, the standard advice, of course, is to figure out how to make sure that you're not spending all that you're earning. Yeah. And, and then make sure that you capture that. And I, one of the things that I would just observe about this particular generation, it seems is they caught, you know, they, they caught the, um, materialism bug of their, of their parents, you know, fully and well. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and as a result, um, it seems as though for many of them, it's a hard thing to find, um, ca the capacity to set money aside and, or to defer gratification. Yeah. So figuring out how to defer gratification, I think is, is an important value, both at the character development level, as well as in just the raw material level. So if you can, and that comes down to some practical things, set a budget, try to live, live small, not large initially. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, put yourself in a position where eventually you, you can live, um, in ways that are catering more perhaps to some of your wants than to just your needs. Yeah. But, you know, if you start well, that's good. You know, with our own children, I think it was a, 
a useful lesson. We tried to inculcate that from a very early age, and our our two daughters are, I would say, exceptionally um, responsible financially. And so what we did, and buddy, I don't know how, how, your youngest children are now a little bit older, right? I mean, you, yours are in the teen years? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So what we did when the kids were little was we would use um, glass, like Gerber jars or other, you know, uh, jam jars or things like this. And they would have four jars. And so now I'm taking this back to, you know, small children, but I think the same principle is going to apply whether you're 20 or like I am almost 62. So is it to have one jar, we told them, it's, so what they had their allowance, the one jar, 10% right off the top was going to go into their offering jar. And then the other 90, the 90% would be divided equally between three other jars. So one would be long-term savings. So we got them thinking about saving for college when they were still in single digits. Yeah. And so now they're starting to think in terms of long-term savings, not 40 years, but maybe 10 years uh, before they got there. Another jar for short-term savings where when they wanted something that was a, a favorite toy or book or something, they could do that. And then still another one for just spending money. And so really they learned how to n- not allow their their appetite for spending money grow to absorb every dollar that they had. But it was, that was really restricted to 30% of their budget. Now I did, we didn't have a jar for taxes. That probably would have been a good (laughs) jar to have, (laughs) but you know, I think that same principle is, is if you can get started early and particular, by the way, now if we're going to get into some technical stuff and maybe your listeners aren't this keen on that, but for, for us listeners, if you're young, you're probably going to be in your lower marginal income tax bracket during your younger years. Use that to save into tax-free accounts, namely a Roth IRA rather than uh, an IRA. In your workplace, go ahead and maybe save it into your your 401k. But um, start building tax-free wealth early, and you'll be glad you did. Yeah, that's great advice. I um, The guest who's actually going to appear after you on our podcast, even though I recorded before you, she retired at 43 and uh-huh. they call their their website is 43 blue doors because when people said how did you retire at 43 now granted they didn't have kids so that's uh-huh. that makes a big difference but they talked about driving a brown car with a blue door because they were <laughs> frugal and then they were they weren't even thinking of retiring but they met with their financial planner to take a year off and their uh-huh. financial planner said Hey, you guys are at the place where if you want, you can just take all the years off. You know, they both worked hard and saved and lived frugally. And so now she slow travels the world, um, still living on less than she makes from her investments. So great advice to to dump that into um, tax-free earning vehicles. Um, what are... Uh, what are some of the common mistakes you see then when, when people do financial planning? Just not planning, I guess, would be the, the biggest one. Yeah. No, no plan. Yeah, I would say not planning or thinking that it's somehow it's a one-off exercise that will give you a, 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 just a few tips and, uh, and then set you up and you'll set it up that way. So it's, for many people, I think they mis- mistake it to be little more than an allocation plan for their portfolio when really good financial planning, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I would say 
um, think of the context. So markets are changing, tax laws are changing, your goals are changing, your health may be changing, your financial situation may be changing. There, it's, a, it's a constant change. Think of financial planning as more than a financial plan. So that's number one is yeah. it's a process. And it's, it's um, I think, something that you should see as ongoing. It's, I think, especially critical as you're coming into the sort of like on the final glide path into what for many people would be their transition from work, a paycheck to having to create their own paycheck from investments that they've saved and for Social Security or what have you to really nail that. But there's also lots of opportunity in there. So I'm a big advocate of um, taking w what uh, thinking instead of thinking instead of just a one size or a once for all plan, as I've already said, and, a, and particularly at that stage, a detailed income plan. So number one is probably, can I, can I get a bead on where my, for reasons of heredity or my own lifestyle, et cetera, my own health history, et cetera, can I get a bead on at least my cohort are approximately, are approximate life expectancies? Because if I'm going to live a really long time versus I'm not going to live necessarily, I'm going to live shorter than most of my peers, then that's going to have a big difference on what the design of your plan should be and what your income plan should be. The second thing would be then on the basis of that, what's the optimal way to claim Social Security? And then on the basis of that, depending on when you see fit to retire, what's the optimal way to take money out of those various buckets of money that you've built? One, for, we were just referencing a few minutes ago, is a tax-free bucket. Another would be your taxable bucket. That's like general investment accounts, brokerage accounts, maybe the proceeds from your business, your checking accounts, et cetera. And then finally, your tax-deferred accounts, which would be IRAs, 401ks, et cetera. You, depending on how you pull that money out, whether in sequence, one starting with one and then exhausting it, going to a second, exhausting it and so forth, or doing a little bit of a mix and match, getting that right can really, can really help you manage taxes in the long run and put you in a position so that over the course of your lifetime, you literally can add, I sound like I'm a big advocate for financial planning, I guess, because I am. You can <laughs> add tens of, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and in some cases, in excess of seven figures of additional spendable wealth that either you can give away and just fuel your, you know, just make it your capacity for generosity that much greater. You can you can offer it off to your next generation. You can, you know, you're, there's any number of things that you can enhance your own lifestyle. There's, you know, any number of choices that you have there. But so we're just really thinking about the combination of like life expectancy measurement, optimizing social security, nailing your withdrawal strategy, thinking about conversions of money that's from that tax deferred bucket into the Roth IRA, and then finally, what we will call tax allocation, which is positioning the, the right assets, when I say assets, stocks or bonds or commodities or whatever, in the right bucket, you know, which should your Roth look just like your IRA, should it look and just like your taxable account? Probably not. In fact, you should bundle certain of the best performing things in your Roth, the, the least tax efficient things in your IRA, the most tax efficient things in your taxable accounts and so forth. If you can 
if so if people will think in those big terms about all the potential that exists in detailed financial planning particularly with a retirement income focus they'll come out so much farther ahead than if they say who needs planning yeah. or if they say oh it's just an allocation plan it's so much more than that yeah well we'll definitely when i launch bam school um we definitely have to whether it's in person and we come visit you or um or we just have you over um skype i need to have you share with our students just oh i'd ha be basics. happy to yeah that yeah would be sure so i read a quote this weekend um in the book the one thing by gary keller and he says this i believe that financially wealthy people are those who have enough money coming in without having to work to finance their purpose in life what are your thoughts on gary's quote yeah i think the most important part of that quote is is defining your purpose in life yeah because if your purpose in life is small it might mean a finance let me restate restate that if your purpose in life is uh is does not require a lot of uh, financial underwriting to be fully realized then you could be wealthy at a much much different stage yeah <laughs> or 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 dollar amount than someone whose purpose involves a significant financial um component to it so um so if you can figure out your life purpose and i think for believers that's you know that's we've got a leg up on that because yeah. it's a it's it's a it's um it's you know, there's a mandates that are set the framework for us and an identity that sets the framework for us as and a calling that sets the framework for us. So it's I think it's an easier project for us to define a life purpose than it is necessarily for for someone else. But I think but the rest of it just seems to that seems to me to be intuitively correct. The rest of his quote yeah. that once you've defined that life purpose, yeah, if you can support it without necessarily having to earn more. Yeah, I would call you financially wealthy. Yeah. Yeah, I think and it's it is interesting. Like, that's a good point that you make. Like my friend who retired at 43, you know, she she there's things that she wants to do. She supports anti-trafficking. She goes around. She travels. Um, I want to have multiple campuses with students coming through that are scholarship to go to school and travel the world and go to Europe and um, yeah, my just for one school, I probably need 10 times the income um, just to run my school, not even thinking about my family. So so just in our two worlds, I, I probably need 15 times the income that she needs because we have a different purpose and a different vision for our lives. So, yeah. And I just the thing there is that sometimes people think about, uh, you know, think about it in terms of, well, how much income how much income do you need or how much wealth do you need? Well, for what? I mean, yeah. if it's for my own comfort and pleasure. There's that's one number. But yeah. if we're talking about if my passion is, is, which it sounds like your passion is, if your passion buddy is to just launch schools and make it and, and, and be, you know, change life, a life changer. That's that particular vision. Absolutely. You need cash flow to help uh, with a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think of that every morning. <laughs> As I plan my day, how do I increase that uh, cash flow? So, um, so well, 
can I say one more thing since this sure. is sort of, I think it ties some of these things together as well. I, you know, I help people plan for that transition, but honestly, theologically, I'm not really that much in favor of, pe- of, of making that transition because yeah. I do think part of the way that we were wired was to be deploying the gifts that we have been given. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the intellect, the energy, the passion, and to find a way to express that, I believe is, first of all, it's, it's natural because we're made in the image of God who has creativity, energy, and passion, among other things. And so in, in it being his image bearers, you know, to, 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 to actually manifest those things into the world is God glorifying. And it's, 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 it's harmonious with our identity and our, and our, and our nature. So for that reason, I would say, think about, you might think about moving from something that's compensated to something that's not compensated. But to, I think that the, the notion that a lot of people have or the vision that a lot of people have or the assumption perhaps that a lot of people have is that there's going to reach a certain point where the paycheck will stop and then leisure starts, yeah. nonstop leisure. I would say, check your, check your thinking on that. I don't, I don't think that necessarily... I don't think that necessarily is going to lead to a life of joy and fulfillment and, and a sense of uh, completion of your purpose. And I also honestly think for, that a, lot, for a lot of people, it, that sort of sets the, I think that accelerates their own cognitive and, and physical de- decline yeah. is because they're not engaging physically and and intellectually and and emotionally in those things beyond themselves. I mean just to 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 think, "Hey, I want <laughs> I want to qu- quit having to go to work and then you know, fill in the blank. Am I going to play 21 rounds of golf a week? I mean, am I going to watch, you know, endless hours of reruns? What what what, what am I going to do?" So I think at that level, you know, when we're talking about this, just stay engaged somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, my personal plan is for this next chunk of life is to 77 and then I'll figure out at that you know, age <laughs> how I'm going to spend the last 20 years of my life. Fantastic, buddy. I love it. Yeah. Um, so before I ask the final question, tell people how they can uh, get connected with you if they just want to talk to you or find out more about financial planning or any of those kind of things. Oh yeah, sure. So, uh, you, uh I guess one way to find me is, uh, on, um, uh, Twitter. So you can find me uh, on Twitter, true North WP, true North at true North WP. Uh, another way you can find me is on LinkedIn. So Eric Olson, CFP and certified kingdom advisor, CKA. Um, uh, you can find me if you dig around on our firm's website, Arete Wealth, A-R-E-T-E, wealth.com. So there's a number of ways. And your podcast, what, what's that called again, just so people have that? The Retirement mind? Lifestyle Show. The Retirement Lifestyle Show. Okay, great. So final question, uh, hot topic these days. Uh, what are your thoughts on crypto? Okay, so my thinking about crypto has actually been evolving and fairly quickly. So if you'd asked me this question six months ago, buddy, I would have said, um, I think it's an interesting development. I think the underlying technology, which is blockchain, um, blockchain technology is a really interesting technology and will have a lot of different applications beyond just currencies. 
I would have said that the currency application seemed to me to be um, questionable because you you think of a currency normally as a store of value and something like, let's say, take Bitcoin that had at least five times prior to this most recent surge uh, upward had lost at least 80% of its value along the way. Uh, it doesn't seem to me to sound much like a store of value in the usual sense of it. And so I would have said it's it's certainly for those people who are inclined towards speculation, if you can time the speculation properly, you know, there's there's I'm, I'm not going to say you shouldn't. But I would say that more recently, as I've watched what I consider to be just unrelenting uh, uh, or just blow. Let me put it this way. Blow out spending on the part of the federal government as well as a rush of new dollars into the system by the Federal Reserve and, for that matter, by other central banks, I, I would say I don't know that we any longer have leadership that understands the importance of uh, a stable currency. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then we it's reasonable to ask whether there are other assets that can... Uh, serve as stores of value in the long run. And increasingly, I'm starting to think that crypto ha perhaps has a place. I'm not saying that it necessarily uh, will ultimately prevail. Uh, and I'm not saying uh, because, and one part of my concern here is, is that governments may find a way to impede its use and therefore its value. But at this point, the decentralized nature of it, the 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 trackable um, transactions of it and ownership of it, the um, finite quantities of it, uh, it are increasingly seeming to me to make sense for at least some people to to have an, a certain portion of their overall wealth allocated to that asset class. So stay tuned. I may shift my thinking further in the next month or two, but as just sort of a snapshot in time, that's how my thinking has been moving. Yeah. I I told my wife when uh, Bitcoin was $80, I said, yeah, I was thinking of getting into Bitcoin at $8, but now it's way too expensive at $80. <laughs> and I've been saying that for like five years. So uh -huh. I, I'm starting to think about putting a little bit in just to, you know, um, that we don't need or is long-term for us, um, mm -hmm. since I'm not retiring to at least 77, I, you know, it can grow for a while in that. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Thank, thank you so much for, uh, being a guest on the show and, um, yeah, great to, uh, connect with you again online. Thank you, buddy, man. It's great to, great to talk with you. I really mean it. And thank you. It's a privilege to, to be a guest on your show. BAM School, facilitating a global self-funding disciple-making movement through business. Thanks for tuning in to the BAM School podcast. Find show notes, free courses, resources, and more at forbam.com.